Hello and welcome to episode five of Bossing It, the weekly podcast for women in business brought to you by entrepreneurs Frankie Cotton and Laura Sheldrake. This week's episode is called Competition, Community and the Danger of Marketing Over Substance. In this week's episode, we highlight some of our favourite female communities. We talk about the importance of understanding your competition and why, in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, founder and CEO of Theranos, celebritising her as an entrepreneur caused her to not only believe her own hype, but to be totally disengaged from reality and the risks she was taking ultimately with people's lives. It's a juicy one. We hope you enjoy. So this week, we had the absolute pleasure of listening to Emily Forbes, who is the CEO of Seenit, a community collaboration and video production, Mm -hmm. I guess, tool. Is that a good way to describe it? Um, And we had the pleasure of listening to her speak at Huckletree in Shoreditch. And it sparked a really interesting conversation afterwards, didn't it? Mm. Talking about um competition yeah in particular because yeah. I mean I won't I won't go into detail but Emily shared a story where you know she'd maybe um she had some issues around competition who were trying to to essentially steal her business idea and, and they got a bit close and yeah it just sparked then a really interesting conversation about mm. how to deal with competition how to you know how much you should and shouldn't share about your business and what you do and yeah, we thought we would bring that onto the podcast today and maybe talk about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly that. I think it was it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because I think on on the one hand, Emily was saying, you know, don't don't share too much and be careful who you trust, which I think is really good advice. Um, depending on who you're talking to, I think she also mentioned it's important to understand your audience. It's important to know who you're speaking to. Mm. Um, obviously, with a friend, if you want to bounce ideas off or you know that you've got someone that you implicitly trust and they can give you really valuable advice when it comes to investors, for example, um, then you just gauge the situation. But with some people, she was far too trusting and unfortunately they completely abused her trust. It got us kind of debating about how much do you share when should you be keeping, you know, ideas to yourself? Um, and I think there were some conflicting opinions, weren't there? Because I'm under the impression, I think after reading something with um, Richard Branson saying, basically, if you have an idea as an entrepreneur, tell the world, tell everyone, share your idea, because um, you never know who you could be sharing that idea with and what opportunities may arise mm. from sharing those ideas. So then there's this question of, how much do you share and what do you share and in what situation? Um, yeah, and as you say, I guess after talking about it and hearing Emily's story, we thought it'd be quite interesting to have a little, not necessarily debate, but conversation around, you know, sharing competition, ideas, and just see what comes out. So. I think what you say there is so important is that once you share your idea at a high level, is all of these opportunities can come your way and things that you didn't necessarily expect or or know and you'll be introduced to people and exactly. you know and you're always one person away from like a life-changing like circumstance mm. you know you you might meet an angel investor who's just the perfect person to invest in your business right yeah. you know the beginning stage or you might meet a future co-founder for example or you know your first hire you never know yeah. so i think it's always it's difficult to know when you're oversharing and when you're not sharing enough, but certainly um, your high level idea 
you know, this is what my business does. This is how I'm trying to disrupt the market. You might think that that's a really unique thing to you, but actually there's probably quite a few people who have maybe had that idea or considered it before. Mm. Like it's not necessarily yours and yours alone, but Mm. how you implement that idea. So your branding, your approach to how you create it operationally, the way you build your business model and all of these things, that's your IP. And and any technology that you build as well, you know, Mm. so, so crucial. So that's your IP. You obviously don't go around sharing the ins and outs of that without NDA or some kind of, you know, uh, level of trust there but certainly yeah. your high level idea ultimately as soon as you enter a market everyone gets competition mm. it's never it's never there's never just one major player in any industry you're always going to get competition that's going to come up yeah it's really interesting what you say about competition and you know knowing that there are other companies out there that are perhaps doing similar things i think emily also said about learning what your competition is doing and learning from perhaps the mistakes they're making or ways in which you can be unique and different and offer something different and I think that's that's really good advice but again we we talked about the fact that we didn't do a huge amount of research and we for example setting up found and flourish we knew Mm. there were other businesses out there and we knew there were you know female founder networks where they were probably wanting and, and trying to do similar things to us because we have similar values at the end of the day but I think I don't know about you Frankie but for me I I didn't want to look into what other people were doing too much because I knew that what I was looking for didn't exist which is why we as a you know as a pair decided that there was a gap in the market that we wanted to fill Mm -hmm. and we wanted to bring that uniqueness and bring those values and bring those kind of needs and wants that we had Mm. to to the market to the industry and to to essentially a new community of, of women you're so right and I think that it's it can be easy to get scared off doing something if you spend too much time looking at the potential competition who is totally. already in a market because yeah. if you do that you'll be like oh my god well, they're, already you know, they're, they're already doing it yeah. so why can I do it but actually you know it's 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 very rare that people have a complete original thought or a complete original business idea that is no in no way shape or form already exists in some mm-hmm. iteration that's yeah. so extremely rare and if if we all took that attitude when starting a business like nobody would ever start a business essentially and actually sometimes it's great to already know that there's somebody out there who's doing something because it shows that there is a demand and there is an existing market in some way um so there's always things to consider but i i certainly know that i know that if i'm feeling insecure about my business i look to the competition for perhaps ideas or inspiration and that's a very dangerous game to play Mm. because as soon as you do that you're losing that you're losing the essence of what you're doing and why it's different and I I think that there's there's so many layers here right because if you're looking at direct like for like products or like for like services Mm -hmm. you need to know what your competition are pricing at yeah um you know, how they're um, servicing customers, especially if you have shared customers, you know, you need to understand that and you need to arm your sales team with knowing exactly how they can um, navigate conversations with potential clients about, you know, what else is on the market and and what your points of differentiation are. Exactly, I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, but I think from like a, from a branding perspective, I always think avoid 
focusing on the competition because all it does is it actually brings you closer and more aligned with your competition instead of actually focusing on on what Why is unique to you yeah. and and for every thought and energy you put into your competition you're putting energy into your competition and not so not yourself yeah. even if it's just thoughts like it's it's a misplacement and actually if you focus on what you're doing that's the most important thing to do and try and try not to get sidetracked by what everyone else is doing yeah I think that's really good advice and if you do get sidetracked just kind of take yourself back to those first couple of days or weeks where you decided that you wanted to go down this path and create something and remind yourself why you wanted to create it I think Mm. constantly going back to those values and why is it that we you know did this in the first place why is it that we wanted to set up something to us that was new and different and 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 therefore why is it different um because as you say you can get caught up in the noise and and the kind of exposure to all this information and and all these different businesses who are perhaps trying to do similar things but really the the essence of what you're trying to do will always be different because it's Mm. coming from a place of Mm. passion and dedication um and and yeah I guess you know that's special isn't it special when you can harness that and just remember why you're doing it yeah it's absolutely a balancing out you know how much you want to know and and how much you want to kind of keep a distance knowledge is power to some degree but you yeah you don't want to be kind of drawn away I I know where I was working I remember when I when I was in charge of the marketing department there everyone in the company used to just send me all of the competitor like emails for example just like random emails so it would just be a small marketing tactic in our competitions much larger marketing strategy which fed into their business strategy right mm. but it would often come from the sales team and they'd be like why aren't we doing this why aren't we promoting that but you can't live in a space where you are reactive to your competition's so tactics yeah. on a daily basis because if you do that we constantly too three steps behind you lose your own strategy and you're being reactive rather than proactive so there was a massive education piece I had to do around kind of look we can't react to these tactics we have to stay true to what we have you know we've spent a lot of time and energy considering what our strategy is going to be and we need to stick to that execution that strategy you can't react to every small tactic that you see in isolation yeah. and you don't know what the bigger picture is and that's and I find I think that can be really difficult to manage expectations internally definitely it's not it's certainly not black and white no I, I completely agree and I guess from a sort of a self-employed perspective or from a perspective where we're trying to sort of you know move a business forward if you are constantly reacting to what someone else is doing not only does it mean you're kind of chasing your tail mm. but you're not enjoying that process of creating and mm. cultivating and um inventing you know you lose that sense of yeah I guess entrepreneurship because you're focusing too much on what someone else has already done rather than what you can do that's different I guess on that note we wanted to talk about some of the now you could say perceived competition out there but to us I think they're they're female founders or businesses that have truly inspired us, who mm-hmm. have motivated us, who have given us this sense of community, um, who may do similar things, but may do completely different things as well. And yeah, I guess we kind of just wanted to sort of pay a note of homage to them and say why we love them and, and why you too should love them. So um, Frankie, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So there's um, there's a few here that I want to reference. So one is Fem Street. 
Femstreet is run by Sarah Nurkel and it's a weekly newsletter that covers everything on like venture capital um, and like diversity and investment and it's just brilliant like she's she's just wonderful and she pulls together this incredible newsletter and I think you know I think we've mentioned this before but for any business owner even if even if VC investment isn't even on your radar, you don't think it's a good fit for you. Having the knowledge and understanding of of what's going on and, and actually you have to have the knowledge of of that industry to know that it's not right for you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. you can't you can't make that call if you don't really understand it or how it could benefit you or how or how it may not fit. So I think just having that knowledge and that understanding of what's going on, particularly for minority groups that aren't so heavily invested in, which you know, we've we covered some stats last week and we've got some more stats from the UK this week. It's absolutely brilliant. So Sarah's great. Go onto the Femme Street website and sign up for the newsletter because you will not regret it. Nice. Um and then a couple of others. So one is Blooming Founders. Blooming Founders is founded by Lou Lee and it's a great community of women founders. They have a co-working space in Shoreditch and they run workshop style skills events. Mm -hmm. So I've been to a couple of them and they're really useful, you know, just arming you with more skills where perhaps you maybe think that you need to give yourself a bit of a boost. Nice. Yeah, I've heard about their workshops. Yeah. And Lou Lee, she's, she's actually curated a book called Dear Female Founder, which is 66 letters of advice from women entrepreneurs who have made $1 billion in revenue. So before I read to you one of the letters that I read um, this week, as is the case with entrepreneurship, I've I've had a bit of a down a week. No, 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 it's fine. You know, it's like it's the it's the roller coaster of, of how it works. Actually, somebody said to me um, at the weekend a brilliant line, which was... Um, entrepreneurship is like champagne and razor blades. Yes, yeah, so true, isn't it? There's no middle ground. It's either really, really good highs or shitty lows. And I just thought that is such a brilliant way to describe it. So this mm. week I've just had a razor blade of a week and it's not for any external reasons. It's purely just like psychological, you know, getting your shit together and getting enough rest. But anyway, I wanted to share this letter with you because it really pulled me out of, I guess, a bit of a negative thought cycle this week. So this is from Sarah Kunst, who is the founder and CEO of ProDay. And she says, Dear female founder, it's always nice to meet a kindred spirit on this journey because it's so damn lonely. The long nights, constant to-do lists, unrelenting stress and slow acceptance that every action causes an equal and opposite deluge of work are kind of terrifying. I often joke that starting a company must be like having a kid. If you had any clue how hard it was, you'd never do it. But here I am, rocking my startup baby at 5.22am, making sure to attend to its every hiccup and fuss while dreaming of the bright, beautiful future that lies ahead. I imagine how proud I'll be when I raise that round or hit profitability. I hum a lullaby of growth. The constant responsibility floors you at first, realising that you are the one responsible for payroll, product vision, buying the toilet paper, and that whatever you aren't doing in any given moment often isn't getting done. Your unsigned contract or too slow sales cycle or missed investor email might mean the difference between success and failure. It's humbling and maddening, but ultimately empowering. See, most of us grow up as overachievers, really great at the things we do. We casually ace tests, circumnavigate the globe and get into the college of our dreams. We follow directions, get extra credit and tick off so many boxes. But at some point we have earned every accolade and achievement. We start to suspect that we could do it better on our own. 
the call to entrepreneurship comes early for some and accidentally for others. Like an alarm, it pierces our consciousness and cannot be unheard. We become woke, and that's when the adventure begins. We study how to run a company the same way we prepared for exams, but at the end of the reading, there's no essay or multiple choice test. Instead, we just start. It doesn't take long to learn that we aren't nearly as good as we thought we were, but we get better daily. Incorporating a company while launching an app, while negotiating with investors, while onboarding a hire? Sure, I'll have it done by noon. Then I'll turn to the spreadsheets and emails and wonder how high an inbox count goes before I trigger a personal Y2K. We leave high-powered jobs to become our own assistants and interns. We learn that we can in fact fail a hundred times before breakfast and then forget it all when a huge victory comes in before lunch. We kiss goodbye to long weekend brunches and summer Fridays. We embrace the constant flow of more work. In exchange, we become CEOs and board presidents. If we're lucky and the creek don't rise, we emerge from a decade-long paralysis of non-stop work as a success, replete with the attendant money and power. We always have a seat at the table because we built it from scratch after a late night run to Ikea. We have opportunities and authority that women before us could not have dreamed of. We pave a path for the girls behind us and are a beacon for those among us. We survive the gauntlet and we finally get some sleep. Sweet dreams, Sarah. Oh my God, you cry. <laughs> oh my God. I know I welled up too when I listened, when I read it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. No, don't apologise. <laughs> Compose myself. It's really powerful, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. Um, yeah, like I say, I was having this like razor blade week of just, you know, sometimes it all gets a bit much. And I and I read that, and I was like, wow. Yeah, you got to remember sometimes what it's all about. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> that really struck a chord. Um, I think it's it's quite a it's I don't know whether reassuring is the word. It's so nice to hear it from someone, and it's so eloquently put, isn't it? About just the relentlessness of it all. Um, yeah, I think I think that's amazing. It's it's really powerful to hear someone, you know, describe that experience and and put it so eloquently because sometimes it's. It's that uphill struggle that you can't even articulate, especially when you're, you know, surrounded by people who perhaps, I don't, I don't mean, they don't understand me, but, you know, married to a wonderful man who works um, in a, an advertising technology company and he's a director there and he has a really, you know, a really kind of a, a, a challenging job, but he absolutely loves it. Um, but, you know, it is a nine to five or eight or six in his case, um, five days a week. And uh, family members who perhaps, you know, have, have jobs where they go to work every day. Mm. And I think sometimes it can feel isolating to a certain degree. But of course, that's not the case, especially with you and I, because we're, we're lucky enough to work with each other and we can, you know, share the experience with one another. But um, but yeah, I think it is really tough sometimes because when you can't when you can't see light at the end of the tunnel and and when Sarah describes you know that day in day out um, hard work, love, passion, um, energy she puts into this this her baby essentially it, it's so it's yeah it struck a chord in me but it's also incredibly powerful and. 
And I can see why when you read that, obviously it's it's emotional, but also kind of reminds you why you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes it's really hard to not be able to see the wood for the trees. Yeah. And, um, you know, whatever we say about starting a business being, you know, it's a, it's a series of actions and opportunities. I think so much of success... Um, I mean, this is anecdotally, I don't have any data to back this up, but I think so much of it is based on like how you can, how you can understand yourself as an entrepreneur, how you can manage yourself and emotionally how you can deal with the stress and the ups and the downs and everything else. Mm. It's just so eloquently put. And and when you get to the end and it, you know, it says we always have a seat at the table because we built it from scratch after a late night run to Ikea. I just think that's. (laughs) That's for me personally, that's why I'm doing this is because I I was sort of like, I'm not I'm not gonna be told that I can't have a seat at any table, so yeah. I'm gonna go out and build my own build fucking my table. Own. Yeah. And then, you know, and the sacrifices that you make to get to that point. Yeah. You know, it's a long journey of sacrifice and work and you know, I believe that both you and I and also within our community, you know, there's people who are doing amazing things. Mm. It's just it's just managing ourselves in order to get through it and to break through to the other side. Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, it's... I mean, that that's brilliant, and I'm, I'm definitely going to read that book now. Um, but it's nice to hear other people going through it. It's nice to know that you're not alone, and it's, I think, really important to be so transparent about these experiences because it isn't all champagne <laughs> there's plenty of razor blade opportunities and it and it and it comes down to resilience and belief and passion and drive and all the things that I think are necessary for you to succeed but also community um knowing that you're not alone and knowing that other people have been there and done that and you know come through the other side I think I think it's incredible and I guess that's why we we're talking today about how important community is yeah absolutely and I just think that without without some level of community you know a sisterhood (laughs) exactly where would we be so yeah coming taking a step out of that um that's that's as I say this wonderful book that's been um collated by Luli who's the founder of Blooming Founders and sometimes I just think it's good to have it on your nightstand and just if you're having a bad day just pick one up read a few and it can just like remind you of what it's all about Um, definitely okay cool thanks for that Frankie I'm definitely getting that one and then finally um I wanted a big shout out to Vestpod, which is probably my favourite female community um, that's out there at the moment. And it's been founded by Emily Bellet, and their ambition is to empower women financially. And they run events and workshops and a weekly newsletter. And, you know, the idea is is to empower women to understand more about their money, understand more about investing, you know, both short, medium and long term investing. So whether that's mm-hmm. Um, mutual funds, pensions, even just like savings accounts, trying to demystify what that looks like, and and just empower women to know more about their it's money. So important, isn't it? It's it's so it's not important. talked about enough. I think it's not talked about enough. And even if you imagine a really really traditional setup with you know uh, a married couple, and perhaps the man takes on more of the financial responsibility. Those situations are so rare now anyway. You know, people aren't getting married so much. Um, and even if there are, there's much more equality in a marriage. So, so you know, it's, it's not going to necessarily be one or the other that looks after the finances. But also, even in that really traditional setup that I've just mentioned, when women outlive men, 
then at some point in their lives, women have this full financial responsibility for all of their assets, for all of their, you know, cash flow, for all of their property. And it's, if you have no understanding of that, and then one day you just inherit all of this, that's a really vulnerable place to be. So I just absolutely love what Emily's doing. Um, it's yeah, it's so great, so important she? yeah so again go onto the Vestpod website sign up for their weekly newsletter and yeah and and go to some of their events and join their workshops that they're, they're really inexpensive when you consider what the return is when mm-hmm. you start to really understand how you can invest your money I mean it's amazing priceless really is it, it really is priceless um so yeah that's great thanks Frankie okay now I've fully composed myself again um <laughs> First up, I want to do a shout out to Cuckoo's Nest, um, which is a co-working space for working parents with a creche. So they're based in Farringdon and Cuckoo's Nest is, I think it's just revolutionised the way parents work. Mm-hmm. So freelancers, um, self-employed, uh, business owners who have children, you can turn up on an hourly rate, a day rate or sign up to a membership where you can work in their co-working space, which is just beautiful modern colorful full of plants uh, neon lights they've got a cafe the people there are lovely they've actually um they were actually set up by two women and friends charlie rossier who's a mum and fabian o'neill both really good friends who i think have been working together for a number of years on various projects they've they also own a business called cuckoos which are serviced apartments for short-term stays this opportunity came up when charlie had a baby and she realized just how difficult it was to manage being a mum and also trying to run a business so from from realizing there was this huge issue where not only were working mums struggling to either go back to work set up businesses that they wanted to set up perhaps keep their own job and look after their children especially with statistics like i think it's only two percent of men take shared parental leave during wow, that's um, really maternity and paternity it's really low so you know as women we take on the majority of the responsibility when it comes to bringing up children mm. facts mm. so she well charlie and fabian decided that they wanted to do something about that so they created cookies nest so as i say a co-working space with a crash um and it's fantastic it's such a beautiful space so for any working parents out there listening to this check them out you can go in meet them and I'm sure like me you'll absolutely fall in love with the space so next up I wanted to talk um, about a PR agency called Wern PR so this agency is set up by uh, and run by a woman called Lucy Werner a mother mentor and business owner so I met Lucy last week at a mother's meeting and I'll talk about mother's meetings in a minute she was on the panel basically talking about the importance of networking self-promotion how to do it all the do's and don'ts and just gave some wonderful advice to probably near 150 200 working mums who were in the room at the time so on a daily basis she shares some fantastic advice uh, on her instagram at wern pr and we'll put the link in the show notes but for anyone looking for a bit of confidence around self-promotion or understanding a bit more about sort of self-branding she's one to follow uh it's it's empowering it's sometimes a little bit funny cheeky um but it's really insightful so i met lucy as i've just mentioned at an incredible event put on by mother's meetings now this is a fantastic community set up by a woman called jenny scott who's a mum of three an absolute hero of mine um she basically 
decided a few years ago that what was lacking for her was this sense of community um, amongst mothers and working mothers. So women who were running businesses or self-employed or wanting to set up a business but just had no idea where to begin. You know, you throw in having a child and this whole juggling act. And for many people, it just seems absolutely impossible. So what Jenny did was set up this community um, for working mums where they could bring their mums along to networking events, workshops, panel discussions. Um, and it's essentially just grown into this incredibly valuable, wonderful community of like-minded mums uh, and women. And she runs a range of events across the year, mainly in London at the moment, but I know she'd like to expand eventually. And from personal experience, having been a member since November, it's been just so wonderful to not only feel a part of a community of like-minded women and mums but be able to kind of bring Bodhi along for the ride mm. so actually going to these events with my baby and meeting other women and not feeling like you know I have to find somewhere else for Bodhi to go so I can actually attend these events I think that's a really nice touch so for any parents out there or any mums out there listening to this check them out at mother's meetings because they are fantastic and if you're ever in need of a cuddle with a like-minded mum or wanting to go to an inspiring event where you just want to hear some other people talk about their experiences check them out and take your baby along for the ride I'm not a parent and I I admire you every day for how you do it but I just think knowing that there are things out there that exist is just so reassuring like it for is, the, isn't it? yeah and it's just you know like you talk about cuckoo's nest you talk about mother's meeting there it's just you know this sort of these collaborative communities that actually they are really helping to close the gender gap mm-hmm. in all sorts of different ways whether yeah. it is you know just the, the the pay gap for example or whether it's you know like the funding gap all of these communities and and all of this support at all various stages of both careers and setting up a business is all contributing to how we're going to achieve equality. Totally. And it's just really amazing lovely, that they all it? exist. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So moving on to what we've been reading and listening to this week. So I've got a couple of things to share with you. So one is I was doing a bit of reading actually around um, Jack Bogle who died um, just a couple of weeks ago on the 16th of January. So one of the articles I read is entitled Beating the Pros, No One Did More for the Small Investor, which is in The Economist. So Jack Bogle funded Vanguard and he pioneered the world's first index fund in 1975, which... um, despite uh, initial rejection, is now really a mainstay of finance. So Mm. one-sixth of the value of the American stock market is in index funds. So essentially an index fund is a mutual fund, which means it's available to the public, but it doesn't require active investors, as basically the fund replicates an index. So like the S&P 500 or FTSE 100, it literally replicates that index. So there's no requirement for active investors. And Bloomberg reckons that Bogle's approach has well may well have saved investors like a trillion dollars in fees wow which is crazy and what i love about about what he did is that he really took a step in helping to uh, democratize the financial markets in america mm-hmm. and then certainly you know that then um echoes across the globe and this feeds into another book i've been reading by tony robbins um which is called unshakable um i don't know if you've heard no, of it I but haven't. it's it's 
it's a really great introduction to investing. And a lot of what Tony Robbins talks about is actually index funds. And if this is sort of overwhelming anybody just listening to this, um, that's... Well, I, I feel slightly overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, you know, like these, there's a lot of buzzwords and terms yeah. in um, investing in the financial mm-hmm. trading markets, which can really isolate people who aren't in that, what can feel like it quite... Um, quite a sort of old boys network or like yeah. a members club. So so I can understand that maybe some of these terms might sound quite isolating, but actually Tony Robbins' book really makes it really easy to understand some of the difference between this terminology and is a really great intro to investing. And of course, we mentioned just earlier, you know, VestPod, which runs Introduction to Investing Workshops for Women. So if this topic is making you get a sweat on, <laughs> basically learn more about it, is yeah. I guess all I would say. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah do because actually it's very easy for you know people of our generation to be um, adverse to investing in stock markets particularly since the crash in 2008 but we really need to think about our futures particularly you know if we're all going to live to we could live to like a hundred plus you know we've really got to think actually about once our careers end or once we retire how we're financially planning for the future so whilst I'm not um, an expert whatsoever in finance or investment I think the work that Jack Bogle did was really amazing um, and you know it's really sad to hear of his passing a couple of weeks ago you know read Tom Robbins Unshakable check out Vestpod and really educate yourself there's so many resources out there you know and with the growth of fintech over time like all the layers of brokers and advisors are going to be replaced with robo advisors trading will become more democratized and that's just good news for the likes of mm you know, you and me and and people who maybe don't, we're not in that world, um, but it's becoming more accessible to us. Totally. I would, I would 100% agree there. Um, they've, I mean, all the time you're seeing these new apps that are coming out, whether it's, you know, an app like Moneybox. Have you heard of Moneybox? I haven't. So you, I, I don't use it, Rich does, I really need to get on this. Um, but you basically sign up to uh, pay through Moneybox and how it works is it rounds up your um, the price of something to the nearest pound or oh, yes. you select so you can say yeah. to the nearest pound five pounds ten pounds a hundred pounds whatever uh, and it puts that discrepancy into the money box so then over time whether it's a month six months a year you've not well you it's it's money that you've saved essentially and put away but then you can then invest it Mm -hmm. so an app like that is incredible because it empowers people with a really accessible way of saving and watching that money grow and I guess it's just one of many examples of as you say how how people are being empowered with the choice now and it's tech that enables us to do that as well you know tech that enables us to do that exactly and it's it strips away all of these you know um all of these buzzwords, all of mm. these, you know, terms that actually maybe we, some people can find like really overwhelming. Yeah. What tech does is it just can strip all of that stuff away and it just, yeah, it just provides more equal opportunity for people to get involved in understanding totally. their finances, essentially. Um, Great. Also, um, so I listened to the How I Built This with Guy Raz podcast with Joe Gebbia, who is the founder or one of the founders of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is such a great episode of how I built this. Have you, li- have awesome. you listened to it? No, I haven't. Oh. oh, but actually I have subscribed to it recently. I think it was suggested as, as one to yeah. sign up to. Yeah. Is that, is that how you found it? 
I can't remember how I found it now, but yeah, they're, they're really great. So essentially it's just stories of entrepreneurs and basically how they built their businesses. And there's some really, really good ones. But what I love about Airbnb is a couple of things. So first of all, it took so much perseverance and dedication to build Airbnb over such a prolonged period of time. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for any of us to look at startups um, or successful businesses and think, well, they were just an overnight success or they just saw a gap in the market and they introduced it and it boom, you know, they're all multi-billionaires born out of Silicon Valley. But Mm. the story just shows that is complete rubbish. There's that amazing timeline, isn't there? Is that what you're going to talk about? No, what's the amazing timeline? It's like an infographic. Have you not seen it? No, what, specific to Airbnb? Yeah. No, I've not seen it. And how it started off. Oh, oh, no, okay. I've not seen so it. We'll, we'll have, have to share put... it in the show notes, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you have to show me. I've... Yeah, okay, fine, go on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. No, I've, story. Not, I've, not, I've not bloody seen that. I should have yeah. been more prepared. But yeah, we'll stick that in the show notes and you can share me later. But yeah, it really took so much perseverance and dedication. I mean, one of the major objections that they had to overcome was stranger danger. Like everyone, if you think about, even if we just start in, in America, which is where it was founded. Yeah. Everyone growing up in America is taught you know, don't talk to strangers, definitely don't let strangers into your home. <laughs> and I remember that, you know, uh, Joe was talking about early meetings with investors. Investors were going, why am I ever going to invest in something where you're encouraging people to let strangers stay in your home? Like, it's just the whole mindset of the country Sounds was against absurd, their yeah. idea. If that, you know, and Despite that, they persevered and they still created what is now, you know, a multi-million dollar company. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it really is incredible. What a story. It's a great story. And there's another part, well, there's loads of great things to it. I'm not, I'm not going to ruin it. But one of the other great messages that comes out of this podcast is that they were in Silicon Valley and they were working on the tech um, as part of an accelerator. And all of their customers were actually based in NYC. And they had this moment of realization where they were like, actually, all of our customers in NYC, we're based in Silicon Valley, we're working on scalable tech, what we actually need to do is go and talk to our customers. Mm. Like, rather than focusing on being behind laptops and developing and making it seamless, they're like, actually, for us to grow, we really need to understand our customers. So I went to, to New York and they were taking it, helping um, you know early users take better photographs of their homes, they were understanding why they were using um, Airbnb mm. and and what they were getting out of it. And, and they just helped them on a really personal level to up their their income and what they were taking. That's and they learned so much it? from that experience. I think it's so, so easy for us to focus on tech and focus on scaling things and automating things when actually sometimes you need to spend time not automating anything, getting into the nitty gritty of the, the process, go well. back to the basics, <laughs> talk to your it. customers. Yeah. And, I, and this isn't the first time I've heard it. I've heard it before where people say, do everything manually and understand the process inside and out before you automate anything. Such because actually you can spend all the time in the world automating something, but if you've missed something and you're not listening and understanding how your customers are going to use your, your product, you're just wasting your time. Um, so they, they have this whole realisation and it's just part of a really, really great story. Joe is, is really interesting to listen to, so I, I highly... Highly recommend that, that is, podcast. That is on the list, Frankie. Thank you. That sounds awesome. 
for the record, uh, if any listeners start hearing a little baby in the background, it's because um, I don't have any childcare today, so he's been napping while we've been recording this episode, and I think we've just heard a little peep. So if you do hear some noises, apologies, but he may come and join us for the last bit of the recording. Um, Frankie, have you keeping got... it real. Yeah, keeping it real. Frankie, have you got any other must-reads or listen-tos this week? Sure. So there's just two other things I wanted to mention. So one is um, an article written by Chuck Warner in Forbes, which is the five billion pound penalty for female founders, which is was actually written in response to the data which just came out yesterday, actually around VC investment for UK founders. Amazing. Um, We had the American ones last week. We had the US. We talked about the US stats last week, and yeah, essentially um, there's a five billion pound investment imbalance between capital that's allocated to male versus mixed gender and female founding teams in the UK. And just to put it in perspective, just one penny in every pound invested in the UK in 2017 went to all female funding teams. Wow. Um, One penny, which really can just, (laughs) you know, when you talk about billions of pounds, it can Mm. sometimes seem like, um, it can sometimes seem incomprehensible because the the values are so high. But when you look, you know, just one penny in every pound really kind of brings it home. Yeah, it really does. Uh, And a quarter of UK funds saw no women at their investment committee stage in 2017. So they weren't even getting to committee stage. So they weren't even getting a chance, you know, to properly pitch and to stand there and to compete for the, for the cash. Did it talk about reasons why that might be? So it does. I mean, there's there's lots of theories about why it is. Um, I mean, arguably, there's not enough women in STEM. Mm, which is, just for the listeners. Science, technology, engineering and maths. And obviously, tech plays a huge part in the startup world. Yeah. And, you know, it's a big part of what the VCs want to invest in. So ultimately, we need to invest more in, in getting young girls and young women involved in STEM. And also that there's not enough women at decision-making level at VC firms. So, you know, if there's still this old boys network club Mm, at like an investment level, women are going to miss out because ultimately, you know, there's not enough diversity in terms of decision-making. So decision-makers are giving the cash to people who look like them, sound like them, and they they Mm, get them, you know. So that's another thing um, to address. But I guess, you know what, the more... The more data, the more investigation, the more we understand, the more we can all work together to tackle some of these issues. You know, we've got to think positively about how we can, you know, how we can change a future, essentially. Yeah, totally. As you mentioned earlier, knowledge is power. And, you know, it's a slow process. But over time, these types of people, uh, organisations, opportunities for women, we with that, we will see, obviously, the opportunity gap close. It's just a matter of how quickly can we close that gap? Yeah, absolutely. And These things take time. Going and, and all this incredible insight that you've been offering today, Frankie, is, is just, you know, part of that process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just finally, on the topic of funding again, is I was at an event, a uh, digital DNA event hosted by Tech London Advocates Women in Tech last mm-hmm. week. And I was learning about the EIC fund. So the EIC is the European Innovation Council. And essentially, they have a 2.7 billion euro fund for innovative startups. Now, the idea is that it's aimed to help fill the commercial gap on innovation. So supporting companies who may be um, developing like the most incredible tech, the most advanced solutions, but there isn't a 
product market fit yet. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a VC, they're not going to get their commercial returns. So they're not going to invest in these kinds of companies because, you know, it it doesn't fit with their own business model. So the idea is that this fund exists to help close that gap. So there are companies that can still, you know, who are really innovating, can still get the money that they need to do that. And you can bid for between um, 250,000 euros to up to 50 million euros per company. And what's really amazing is they're working to get the cash in your pocket within three months from application, which is such a fast turnaround. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, which is amazing. That's one of the SLAs that they've been working on recently because that waiting game is is really tough for entrepreneurs you know cash is 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 an enabler so the longer you have to wait the more difficult it is so British companies good news are still Mm. welcome um just so get your application in now if you think that 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 fits you and it just goes to show how Brexit's gonna fuck us but anyway oh no don't say the b word (laughs) sorry sorry say fuck all you like but the b word oh god yeah okay well um, apart from the whole Brexit chat, that was very useful, and that's so exciting that that's available to us. Oh, it's awesome! That's amazing. I think sometimes we don't necessarily know about all these amazing things and grants mm. and funds that are available, and you don't just have to, you know, sell your. I was going to say sell your soul to a VC, but I don't think that's fair because there's a whole load of reasons why VCs are, are very, very useful um, for different companies. But yeah, there, there's options, and know your options always. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, exactly. And how about you, Lara? What have you been... I want to talk about a podcast I've been listening to recently called The Dropout. Have you heard about this? Well, I saw that you post something about it, and I'm really curious as to to know more. Yeah, I mean, this is... I don't even know where to start. So, hosted by Chief Business, Technology and Economics correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis. This is a new podcast that dives into Elizabeth Holmes' alleged Theranos fraud. Ah, uh, so interesting. For those who don't know, Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Holmes set up uh, a company called Theranos, which is a combination of two words, therapy and diagnosis. She claimed that she had created a piece of uh, health technology that was portable and that anyone could buy in a shop and use and with a pinprick's worth of blood, test the blood cells and could diagnose cancer, STIs, diseases, could basically give you all this incredible information in real time. It turned out that it was, that all the claims were completely false um, and that they had... It, it turns out that they had been completely misleading people for years. Oh so this whole podcast series came after a book was written called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carew, who's a Wall Street journalist who had basically followed the story of Theranos from the very beginning. I'm not going to ruin it for everyone. It's a six-part series, and I've only listened to the first three episodes because that's all that's available at the moment. So I think she's, um, I think Rebecca is releasing them on a weekly basis. But it is fascinating. The reason I was so shocked and actually really excited to listen to this is because I remember reading about Elizabeth a couple of years ago. I remember being in a... I think I was in... I was still working in sales then in advertising and I remember reading about her everywhere on LinkedIn. It was literally Mm, every other picture. It was this beautiful blonde, young, 20-something person wearing a black turtleneck top and it was like Forbes, self-made, youngest female billionaire. Perfect PR story, wasn't it? Amazing, yeah. yeah. And I I just... I, I. I read all these stories and I soaked all up and I just thought, you know what, that's that's something to be really proud of. And I remember looking at her thinking, I'd love to do something like that one day or be like that one day, create this, you know, wonderful business around 
helping the better, you know, helping helping the world and doing something for, for the better good. And I hadn't really thought about it, but actually it, the story then just kind of dropped off the face of the planet. I didn't read much about her after all the kind of, you know, bells and whistles around how amazing she was Mm. and I don't know whether this is because I stopped using LinkedIn as much or I went on maternity leave so perhaps I missed this whole story but the fact that one minute she can go from this basically the next Steve Jobs described as the next Steve Jobs to being charged with fraud and potentially facing a 20-year prison sentence I like my mind is just blown um so you know this this series is incredible it, it it talks basically through the story um and the journey of the business and how she came up with the idea and then how she went through different rounds of investment and it sounds like she this business really did start as something she like she believed would change the world mm. but i think through the pressures of media and pr as you say and you know, being put on this really like high pedestal, I think she started kind of trying to live up to these worldly expectations that actually she couldn't quite deliver on. And she started believing her own lies because there was no way out. She couldn't then suddenly say, actually, do you know what, guys? This isn't quite going to work. Yeah. And it was this spiral effect. And listening to this podcast makes you realize just how she had got so far it was almost impossible for her to turn back. And I think the problem is she started putting, putting people's lives in danger from it. And that's when it all just just turns into this whole dark story. But yeah, it's so interesting, like, you know, talking about this after last week when we spoke about, um, you know, fire and the documentary about that. Yes, I mean, the exactly. sort of reckless entrepreneurship mm. and and how, you know, you can have this huge marketing or PR success, but actually behind the scenes, it doesn't mean that um, the product or the operation is necessarily delivering. Yeah. Um, but what is, you know, what's obviously far worse about this story is, you know, fire was just a party. Ultimately, everyone was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is, you know, you're putting people's lives. health at risk yeah, and, totally. and their lives at risk and they're believing, you know, in this product that you know, it's it's going to be really detrimental to a lot of people. But yeah, I'd be interested to follow that story and ultimately see see what happens. Yeah, um, I mean, listen to it. It's, it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, people talk about the fact that they were driven to committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide because they knew all these dark secrets <gasps> and they felt God, like they terrible. were being manipulated or bullied within the business. Like, it's not just, by the way, the technology didn't work and she was lying. There's... There's like so many different levels here um, yeah, to sort yeah, of yeah. unpick and understand. And it's just incredible how this really sharp, well-presented woman in the media was running a, a complete shit show. Yeah. Like it's it's just, it just shows the power of the media, doesn't it? Yeah, and why we have to be careful of celebritizing entrepreneurs. 100%. Because, you know, if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, you can't put people on this pedestal when ultimately, you know, they're doing something that's really reckless and is going to have a huge lasting negative effect both on their employees and their customers totally yeah i'd agree there so have a listen uh, i think episode four comes out next week and yeah I'm, I'm really intrigued to hear the rest of the story that's actually it for me there were a couple of ted talks i'm, I'm probably going to put on the show notes um I absolutely love TED Talks and I think they've got so many inspiring speakers from young women to, you know, old scientists and entrepreneurs and I think there's something there for everyone and the fact they do TED Talks daily is fantastic because every day you can have like an 8 to 10 or 11 minute short kind of video or podcast where 
you can suck up some information and hear about someone else's kind of story or story of success or idea or um, mission in life and it's it's truly inspirational but I'm not going to go into detail about them I'll, I'll put a couple of links in of ones that you know I'd, I'd recommend for this week and next week hopefully I'll, I'll be back to some uh, recommendations for reads and listens Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed episode five of our podcast. As always, you can get involved with the conversation online by using the hashtag bossingitpod and tagging us at foundflourish. Please do rate and review us. Let us know what you think because it helps us to create even better content for you guys in the future. And also, if you do love it, please do subscribe and pass it on to a friend. That would be wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you next week.